for five. There's a certain uh, element. Certainly, of, like yeah, it's not consuming me like twenty four seven. I gotta be patient. Yeah, I'm still patient. <laughs> Hi, I'm Woody Kincaid, and welcome to The Price of a Mile. It's July 27th, 2017, and this is the fifth edition of our podcast. Most of the Bowman runners are abroad, uh, preparing for world championships in London. So I'm here in Portland interviewing people who did not make the world team. And in this case, it's Chris Derrick. If you're not familiar with the man, he was a high school phenom. He ran 13.55 in the 5,000 when he was only 17. He was a 14-time All-American at Stanford, and he was a three-time uh, USA Cross champion. So he's got a pretty distinguished career. He's had some uh, trouble in the last few years dealing with injury. We'll talk about that on the podcast. But if you like him, give him a follow at C. Derek Run. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us at P-O-A-M Podcast. Okay, enjoy the tales and follies of Chris Derek. Back to Price of Mile for your second time. First time, hopefully, that goes live. Yeah. <laughs> little little known uh, tidbit, this is actually the second time I interviewed CD. He was the first guest on Price of Mile. But I did such a bad job, Woody shelved the, shelved the interview. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> It'll come out in Woody Leaks, the unreleased tapes. It will be one in, day. <laughs> in, in, in 2021. No. Like tracks from Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, maybe. Who knows, man? Maybe like in 20 years, they'll be like, man, I should listen to that. You'll be The Wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, people care about The Wire now. Oh, the, the greatest, the greatest HBO show of all time? No, 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 no. I thought you were talking about The Wire the Radio ha- Lab. The Hame song? No, Radio Lab. <laughs> Never mind. You just... No, man, people didn't watch The Wire when it came out, and then it became like the cult classic that every like college-educated white guy watches, and this is like, I understand the streets. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, I... I guess it's the same with like Arrested Development. Vincent Van Gogh. Oh, all, yeah. all, all great artists are underappreciated in their own time, Woody. <laughs> Except for Springsteen. Except for Shakespeare and all that, too. All right, anyways, let's talk about running. Let's. CD, a, a lot of people know you as just that smart guy that ran really fast. Kind of nerdy and dorky. Were you always like that, or were you... No, I mean, if you're asking, I was not fast at one point. At one point, I was mm-hmm. very slow. But was I always a huge nerd? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. What, what did your parents do? Exactly. My dad was, my mom was in sales, and my dad was an accountant who got into sales. White collar, just good. 
Great people. Great I mean, people. don't you watch yourself here, Woody. You can insult me, but if you dare insult Janet and Richard Derrick. I wasn't going <laughs> to insult them. I was trying to be diplomatic again. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, my, so my, both my parents are from New York. That's where I was born, in Albany. And then I moved to Minnesota in first grade into Illinois in third grade. Lived a pretty standard, like, middle to upper middle class, good public school. It was. I'm from Naper, Naperville, Illinois. It's like a pretty wealthy area. Public schools are really good. I would say, you know, they're probably on par with a lot of private schools. At least, like, I, you know, I was in kind of the all, like, AP classes track. And the school's 4,000 kids. So it's kind of a school within a school of, you know, a lot of high-achieving kids and whatnot. So... So you, you kind of grew up in a pretty competitive uh, environment. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty competitive person, and obviously that extended into understatement most of my activities in life, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. If you want to know what I was like in middle school, I was... Chess club. Wait, math club. I did, uh, I did youth in government, which was like the oh, mock God. trial thing. Hey, man, you went to math club. I did. Don't be hating on I went to achievers. Yeah, I was the one that everyone was happy I was at math club because I, I was always asking for help instead of trying to show everyone I know math. Uh, I'm not sure I understand this exact social situation, but yeah, they, um, don't, don't worry. I'm I'll, I'll, leave, believe you. <laughs> I'll leave that out. That's, that's, I've always preconceptions. Yeah, you do. That's why we're here to break down those preconceptions, Woody. No, I played basketball and baseball growing up and through middle school. Uh, and I didn't start running until the summer before my freshman year. But I was like the last kid to make a travel basketball team because my neighbor was the coach one of the parents, their older son was on the cross country team and thought it was a really good experience. So they told my parents that I should run cross country because like it was evident that I was not going to be a basketball star. And I'm a little young for my grade. So I was 17 when I went to college. So I was also a little underdeveloped and they were like, where do you send the underdeveloped kid who like tries hard, but isn't particularly explosive. And it's like cross country it was a good decision. Although I was not particularly in favor at the time. Then you were not in favor. No, I thought it was, I had heard that this was like my, my killer argument I was going to use against them, which was that the warm up was three whole miles, which seemed impossible to do at one given time. So I'd never run more than a mile in my life. If you have never done it in your life, it doesn't make sense that I should do three times something I've never done in my life. Yeah, it seemed unreasonable. So, but my parents, they, turns out they saw before I did that I, in a school of 4,000 kids, I wasn't necessarily going to be star or anything else um they wanted me to like have an activity being around good kids they told me later they don't want me, they don't want me to like not have anything and like get in trouble which seemed like a ridiculous <laughs> assertion the most trouble i ever had in school was like i got caught reading under my desk in class and like a teacher like made fun of me and i got really sad about it that qualified as as trauma in my middle school upbringing so i'm not entirely certain what sort of trouble they thought i was going to get into but i'm glad they made me do cross-country camp the teacher called you a nerd. Uh, a bibliophile. Well, it's, they used to do this word of the week thing, and like the word of the week was like bibliophile. So like in class, he just like was basically like, "Hey, everyone, Chris likes books. Like, what a loser!" And, <laughs> I, and I was like, "Wait, aren't you the English teacher? Like, this is ridiculous." He probably loved you. I don't know. He's he was very apologetic. Uh, it's the only time my dad ever wanted to talk to a teacher was because he was upset. I was I was very emotionally fragile at the time, and my mm. dad my dad got a little defensive. Well, he wasn't a bad guy. Okay, so you started in ninth grade. You were pretty good, but not great, right? That's, uh, that's yeah. kind of what you've said before. Yeah, I was like, my first year, I was the the seventh guy on the fresh soft team. Mm -hmm. So I ran 
18.08 for three miles was my PR. My first race I remember doing, it was like a two point something mile race. Uh, you kind of went around this pole, like it was like a big like light stand, like a baseball field. Mm-hmm. And then there was maybe 75, 50 meters to go to the finish. And I knew I was in 10th place at this dual meet. And I made the turn and I looked and I saw the guy was maybe 15 meters behind me. So I was like, oh great, I don't have to sprint, it's fine. And then he blew by me with like 25 meters to go. So that was my first lesson in you actually have to try all the way to the line, which I, I didn't I didn't take kindly to. Because I was really upset. This shows what kind of athlete I was. I was very upset that I had just missed being in the top 10 at this dual meet of the first race. Your first year. race. Yeah, against a not very good school. Wow. I showed up my first race. Well, my first practice was skater shoes and jeans. My first race the following week was skater shoes and, and my gym shorts. Ah, yeah, that makes more sense. You yeah. probably didn't have running shoes. No. The jeans is just, you were just being intentionally stupid, right? Like, nobody wants to run in jeans. You were, think... you were aware that you sweat when you <laughs> run, right? That's, like, I can imagine showing up to basketball practice and not knowing what a pick and roll is, but yeah. <laughs> showing up to running practice and being like, wait, you sweat when you run and denim's uncomfortable when you're hot? Like, that just seems silly. Uh, I think I just wasn't being logical. Like, I don't want to get my pants dirty because... Or get my jeans because I have to wear them to gym class the next day. Or I don't remember the reason behind it, but I do remember like I'll just go out there in my jeans. We're not going to run that much. I, I don't think I was even the only person to do that that year. I think there were like other kids that did that too. You know, that's just me though. I, I figured it out somewhat quickly, like after a week that you have to wear. That's not somewhat quickly. <laughs> somewhat quickly would be before you went to practice. right okay so when did you finally figure out okay i'm I'm gonna be a top runner i figured being good was making varsity and i figured since i had been seventh on the fresh soft team i would then be varsity as a junior because obviously you just stay the same Mm -hmm. and so i thought that that would be good like being a varsity athlete would be cool and then actually a kid named Paul Lozer uh, came out from soccer and he ran track and he took my spot in the two mile at this big invitational. And I was really pissed about it. And Paul, he actually, ended, he ended up moving, but he ended up running at Wake Forest. I think he broke nine in the steeple. Yeah. So then I went to this other like crappier meet and I was like, I have to take my spot back from Paul so I can run conference. PR'd in the mile or the 800, the mile and the two mile in the same race. And I ran out of like 10.47 or something, which was still wasn't very good, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was decent. It was solid. And like my coach, my cross-country coach like sent me an email about how like one of the guys who had been at varsity had run a little slower at that race the year before. And so I put that on my door and I was like, I can be on varsity next year. And then I ran, I ended up running like 10.17 my freshman year for the 3200 and doing that and then I was like oh like I'm gonna be on varsity for sure we went to the dual meet first dual meet of the year and we were watching the fresh soft race and I was gonna run the varsity race and this one kid older kid who was kind of a dick was like oh sucks man you could have won this race like now you have to wait a whole year to win a race Stay with like of our lives 1200 to go I had caught like caught back up with like our top two guys and then I was kind of wondering why they were like like it slowed down so much like figured they were like waiting to kick and so i figured i would just go 
I like passed between them and I, I swear I heard one of them say, what the, I don't know. I looked, I just ran as hard as I could for like 800 meters. And I looked back and I had like a 50 meter lead and that was the, I think that was the first race I ever won. And so then from that, I'm from there, I was like, okay, I should be like pretty good in the state. And I think I, I was like 43rd that year at state. As a sophomore? As a sophomore. I ran like 924 that spring. And then I was third at state the next year. And from then I was like, all right, I should like run in college and maybe get a scholarship and stuff. At this point, CD was a bona fide national phenom. By his senior year, he ran 13.55 in a race uh, with only high schoolers. Also, for those of you who don't know, there are two national races in high school for cross country. There's one for Foot Locker and one for Nike. CD was on a team that won Nike Nationals, and he was the leader on the team by finishing first, and he finished second at Foot Locker Nationals. So at this point, he's being heralded as a future star in American distance running. And we are off. The 2007 Nike Team Nationals underway. And he does seem to be like a, 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 not a heavy-footed runner, but now we have Chris Derrick making a move on Colby Lowe up front. You know, Chris Derrick took it easy last week at the Foot Locker Regionals, the first race all year that he did not win. Mm -hmm. And he didn't mention also, I asked him, in effect, if he's got a gap on this field or, or if he's got a gap in between and behind, will he hold back a little bit with maybe Foot Locker next week on his mind? He said, no, NTN is the only race that matters to me. Low, those guys have opened up a huge margin in front, but behind is where the race for the NTN championship title lies. Well, here comes Chris Derrick toward the finish line in running an excellent time. And Lowe is right behind him, maybe about two seconds. They have to go through one more big puddle. There it is. And he's going to hit the line unofficially in 1540. That could be the wow. course record. Lowe right behind by three seconds. Great competition between those guys. A lot of people knew me from my senior year of high school when I ran really fast. And it's kind of like when you run fast when you're 17, then you're talented. But my mental map was that when I was 13, I was no good. And so I was I was the fast improver. I was always, who had beaten me, and then I was you know, coming back and beating them, um, you know, the next year and just always improving, always improving, always improving. This is why you maintained a GPA of like four, two, four, three. Uh, it's like, you four, know, it was like four, five. Yeah. Say exactly what it was. I think it was, oh, I thought you knew four, five, seven or eight. In my opinion, CD was destined for Stanford university. Uh, I mean, I emailed them, oh. I think over the summer, my, Maybe end of my junior year, or summer after my junior year. And you were pretty set on that? Uh, I, I mean, I wanted to go there. I mean, I liked Stanford a lot, but um, I was a little nervous because actually the coach there was like more of a like mid-distance guy. Um, and it was just like very different from what I'd done in high school. And my coach told me, my high school coach told me I should go wherever I would want to go if the coach left or if I got hurt. And so I was like, all right, well, I really like Stanford as a school. I really like the guys on the team. I felt comfortable there or, you know, feel more comfortable in their system or whatever. But, you know, I should go where I'll be like happiest overall. So I chose to go to Stanford and then actually the coach retired. And uh, one of the other coaches who recruited me, Jason Dunn at Virginia, who's very similar to my high school coach, took over. 
and of the like seven schools I ended, I talked to in varying degrees, five of the coaches had left by the time I graduated. So my coach gave me very good advice. When I was looking at, at UP and uh, University of Colorado, Syracuse, CSU, if you made top 30, as far as I concerned, was concerned, like you were good enough. To, like, to be worthy of what he can get. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, like you go to nationals, and then I'll, I'll have a chance to run a nationals. The thing that decided for me on a school, which I don't even know if it was the right choice, but it worked for me, is I just cared if they were a forthcoming program. Like, it was real. Like, when I went to UP, like, they had me sleep on the on their couch versus, <laughs> like, versus like, in a hotel or something. Oh, yeah. Staying in hotels or crew is weird. You want to stay in the dorms for sure. I think so, too. I mean, at the very least, just because it's more fun. It's, like, exciting. You're like, I'm going to go to college. I'll mm-hmm. be away. I mm-hmm. can just, like, stay up as late as I want. We didn't have bedtimes in my house. God, you, you need so much more structure in your life. <laughs> no. I, ne- I never had a be- bedtime, ever. Parents, uh, parents probably watch you have soda as much as you want, too. I was fairly restricting of myself as a child. I chose to be a vegetarian at seven years old. Didn't touch it. I know I didn't touch meat from the age of seven to 13. Uh, I'm just going to say there's, there's, some, there's a certain aspect of discipline that yes. is good. I'm glad that you were, that your that your parents uh, let let you off the leash and that you didn't go too far astray. That's good. All right. CD goes to Stanford and is an immediate success. He was an All American his freshman year every season. Being an All American as a freshman in Division One athletics is already impressive, but he was one every single season he was eligible for. I was not an All American every season. I redshirted indoors. My sophomore year because i was hurt that right. was the one season i've missed every season that you were yeah i think in. i think lauren fleshman did it because i remember seeing that she did it and wanting to do it and i was pissed when i had to redshirt oh. i kind of had a run of good luck like i think a lot of a lot of, a lot mean, of kids be, come in don't be too modest like obviously no so like a lot of kids come into college and they run they want to be really good and they run themselves into the ground and i had had mono at the end of my senior year so i missed my senior year state track so I never won a state track title. So I was coming off mono, and then I trained really hard like an idiot. Uh, I went to camp. Um, we used to do camp in Mammoth for two weeks before school started. I like, crushed the first long run. Like me and Brendan, Greg, like, one of my really good friends, we like, dropped everybody. We did these great workouts, blah, blah. And then I had a fever of 103. After and, camp? No, during camp. Mm. So that knocked me out for a week. And then fortunately, somehow I, I bounced back from all of those dumb mistakes and I was, I was fine for that season. But I think I definitely made the mistakes that most people make in terms of wanting to be too good too early. Fortunately, I got all of that, that back pay right at one time. I just got really, really sick for five days as opposed to being tired for the rest of the season kind of thing. And I was, I was, I was pretty disciplined. I knew that running was the most important thing. I wanted to do, do well enough in school. As long as I was doing well enough in school, you know, running was the most important thing for me. And You got a 4.5. And then in Stanford, what did you get? Uh, 3.8 or something like that. Okay, well enough. You know, I didn't, t- I didn't, I don't know, I wasn't like an engineering major or anything. I wasn't killing myself. You know, I didn't, I didn't really like go out that much as a freshman or anything or even when I was older, which is probably a good move and came in and I, I meshed well with the coach and I had good training partners and uh, the first cross season went really well for me. And from there, I just kind of had a lot of confidence. And Yeah, I mean, to say you had a good season, you were All-American, it's something that 
most pro runners aren't, weren't even All-American as freshmen. I wasn't an All-American until my senior year, which is a little atypical for a pro runner. Were you ever All-American in Crosswoody? No. Tell the audience. <laughs> <laughs> my best? No. And that's what my school prides itself on, too. That's the weird part. So nothing about me makes sense. But I'm well, well aware of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were just playing like Dungeons and Dragons. I, I guess people are no, just one. No. Were you, you were playing magic. No, I didn't do any of that. Nothing. You just lived a normal social experience. You just. I mean, I hung out in the dining hall with my teammates after practice a lot. Like sure. just sitting there shooting the shit for like two hours. I mean, I, I went out like a couple times with my roommates, you know, to like campus parties and stuff during cross season. And then after cross, obviously college kids do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I did my homework and I went to practice and I hung out with my friends talking about random things college kids talk about for hours, which is mostly girls. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's true. Now, throughout his college career, CD was third or second numerous times at nationals, but he was never a national champion. He might be the best college runner never to win a national title in the NCAA. In college, I didn't have very many bad races. I was really good at kind of controlling the damage and making sure I gutted out whatever it was, you know, to, to still be All-American or what have you, but obviously I never won. You know, I never, I never really put myself out there to do that because I think I always, at the very least, was like, well, I, uh, you know, I think I, think I was good when, when it really hurt and I was worried about getting dropped and like embarrassing myself of making myself stay in there. But I wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily have that same motivation to go make the big move that I, that I might have needed to win some of those races. And that's, I don't know, I think about that sometimes, but you kind of just got to be who you are. I, 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 in those, in those, the fi- indoor 5K and the indoor 3K, like I did go for it from a bit further out. I, I, I finished the 5K and I was second. And so I'd run earlier that year, I'd run 13-19, but I'd lost to Leonard, Career, Steven Sambu, and Lowey in that race. I didn't expect to get second or to drop Sambu or to drop Career. And so I think I kind of like made a token move. Lowey passed me, blew me up in the last 200, and I was just happy. I was just really happy to be second. And I, we ran, you know, 13-20-something, and I was pretty stoked. And then I kind of thought about it afterwards. I was like, I was leading NCAAs with you know, 250 to go. And there's only me and one other guy, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I should have really tried to win. <laughs> maybe I should have realized that yeah. Yeah, I, you know, Lowy had run whatever 12 seconds faster than me. So I was like, I just can't beat him. And then in the three K I was a little more determined to, to, to try to win. Right next to the Lang is Chris Derrick from Stanford, the junior who ran a very gutty 5,000 trying to break up the team tactics, tactics of Lang and Sambu from, University of Arizona. He has had just a brilliant career. Trains hard in the summer. Guys that put in summer training and are strong in cross country, if they can stay healthy, usually have terrific years, and he's improved every single year as Chris Derrick. 3,000 meters that they ran at the 743 does. Paul Chimimo of UNC Greensboro, who is in fourth place, just inside the line. Chris Derrick of Stanford. That's sort of a grouping of five. The teeny gap developing between them and the second group, Diego Estrada continuing to lead. And the two Arizona runners, Lolly Lang and Steven Sambu, seem- seemingly happy enough to let that happen. Derek, Chris Derek has now moved up into fourth. The Lang, if you did not catch uh, our early part of our show, Chris Derek moving right up in place there as well. 
Coming up on three laps to go in the men's 3,000 meters. Number eight on his chest, that is Lowry LaLang of the University of Arizona. The sophomore, Chris Derrick of Stanford, has now moved up right behind him, challenging him the way he did in the 5,000, and now attempting and successfully going by him, sort of, into the lead. So it's Chris Derrick of Stanford, followed by Lowry LaLang, and the LaLang's teammate, Steven Sambu. There's quite a gap now that has developed, close to 10 meters. Derrick and LaLang, just like in the 5,000 meters on the first night of competition, and two laps now remaining. Derrick is now in his sprint, and LaLang just met, just marking him as we take a look at the chase pack, and Sambu moving further and further back. That is Cam Levine. Cam Levins. Levins of Southern Utah, but now LaLang takes the lead back, but still gives an opportunity for Derek to get in on the inside. We're coming down to 200 meters to go at the bell. One lap, 200 meters, and Derek is not going to give up. It's Lowry LaLang coming back from his victory in the 5,000 meters on night one, being chased by Chris Derek. Does Derek have it at the short distance? 28 second plus, second to last 200 meters. Derek holding on well, forcing the pace early. Look at this, he's on his shoulder. LaLang and Derek, it's a full sprint. Who wants it more? LaLang going for the double. Derek going to, to break it up. Here it comes. LaLang still has it. He's got it. He doubles. And Derek gets two seconds. Levins finishes third. That one, I, I, I went for it, and the mistake I made was I kind of miscalculated on the indoor track. So with 300 to go, a lap and a half, I let him pass me. And I think, and then he, he just, he stayed that same bit ahead of me. You know, I, we stayed even through the end and I just couldn't make up that ground on him. So going back, if I could have made myself, re I feel like the race was going by really fast and I kind of didn't realize there was only 300 to go. If I could go back and do it again, I'd try to hold him off there, but. Well, I mean, pick your poison, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's, it, yeah, like it probably, it probably wouldn't have worked either, but that's, that's like the one thing. That's the one instance I look back and say like, I was probably in good enough shape to win. Like it could have gone either way and it just didn't go my way. I would say through my college career, I didn't have any races that I was ashamed of. I had some races where I regretted that I didn't take some opportunities. Sure. Um, you know, I lost a NCAA race by like less than two tenths of a second. So obviously I'm going to think about that one from time to time. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about uh, 2012. In 2012, CD had already gotten the world standard for the 10,000 meter, meaning that if he was top three, at the Olympic trials, then at 21 years old, he would already be on the team. By the time he got to the trials, he'd been battling some injury, and uh, even though he had an impressive race, he lost to Galen Rupp, Dathan Ritzenhine, and Matt Tiegenkamp, three great American runners. CD started out in last, but he ended up getting fourth place in the race, um, just one spot out of making the Olympic team. I look back into how you know, people on our team approach the Olympic trials now and to how I approached the Olympic trials in 2012, it's like a joke because I did all the graduation stuff and was just kind of hanging out with my parents and I felt really tired and I was like, I'm just going to, my whole goal going in was just don't embarrass myself so much that I don't get a contract. At Peyton Jordan, I had gone out in basically last place and just kind of moved up the whole time and that had helped me relax. So the trials, I went out in last place, just tried to relax. I actually... I got pretty relaxed. I started feeling pretty good. I ran a couple 64s to get like close to the front, and then Ritz ran two 63s to break away. And at first, it was like when he first made the move, it was him and Galen. And I was 
hurting from having moved up to the towards the front and i was like okay just we don't just just as long as there's not a third as long as there's not a third and then matt just came flying by me and i was like well that's it Yeah, so I, you know, I I ended up fourth. I had the fastest late last 800 in the field. When I ran, what I guess is still my third fastest time in the 10K. Finished the race, and I kind of, I was like, that was pretty good, you know. Like, I did not think I had that in me. You know, talking to my coach earlier today, I was just felt exhausted and not ready for this at all, and I just wanted it to be over. And I ran 27:40, and I got fourth. Like, okay. And then I had my first little inkling of regret when I was in drug testing. The three guys came in and they all had like the USA jackets and the little flags and their families and their agents. And I was kind of by myself. And I was just like, oh, like there's a big gap between fourth and third. Obviously later that summer, just kind of going on and on, I thought about it more and more. And in my head, it was like, well, I'm just going to make teams from now on because I just keep getting better year after year. That's been my career. And I made the team the next year. The very next year, CD did make the team in the 10,000, and he went on to finish 18th in the world. And I was kind of like, well, I'm just going to, now that I made the team, you know, when, once I got All-American, I never, I didn't, I, I didn't not get All-American after that. So now I made a team, and I'm not not going to make teams. Unfortunately, that wouldn't turn out to be true, uh, since in the coming years, he would face Achilles problems. And uh, despite his success in cross country, his performance on the track took a beating. There he is talking about his races in 2015. I'd had some injuries the previous year, or at the end of the previous year, and then I got really fit. Uh, I had like a six-week layoff, and my Achilles wasn't right even after that. And I came back to racing, and so I had some, had a really bad one, and then I had like an okay one, and then some decent ones, and then I repeated that same cycle the next year, and then I just 2016, I just pretty much only had bad races mm-hmm. until maybe like until I ran 2738 in November. And I've had some ones this year that they were pretty much all just mediocre. I don't think I, I don't think I really had a race that matched my fitness level, except maybe New York city half when I ran 61, you know, I could have run, I could have broken my PR pretty solidly. I think um, you had like a 2017s in you. That's what I felt my fitness was. And I just don't think I ever had the race that, that really showed that necessarily. So that's obviously, that's frustrating. At the same time, too, just the competitive level in the 10K has risen a lot to where two years ago in 2015, when I was really not, in, I was coming off injury and I was in really bad shape, you know, a 2.30, like, 7 last K makes the team in a relatively slow race. This year, it took a 157 last 800, or actually, no, sorry, like a 156 or 7. So that's that's a pretty big jump in in just competitiveness 
on the U.S. scene that I think it's hard when I didn't get to just run a flat out 10k to then say like oh actually I was okay I was good I was fine you know I don't know these are the thoughts that run through my head Mm -hmm. these days so I asked him when was it that his Achilles troubles really started so the end of 2013 I had in 2013 I had a little injury before in my Achilles before worlds and it kind of affected my world's performance but I came back and I PR'd in the 5k at Brussels good you know that was after a and and the problem there too it wasn't just that I had missed time but also when I came back things still kind of hurt I wasn't really running right you know I looked at videos of myself running and I was like I was extremely stiff and so I mean there's everybody's different and I mean Emily Infeld's come back from devastating injuries and one you know she was hurt still in the pool in March and she won bronze in August Right, so everybody's different, I think, and for me, more it, it was a little bit of getting just like the basic training under the belt that I skipped because I was trying to go straight to track fitness in 2016, and it was also a little bit of rehabbing the body more and more to getting to the point where it was I was actually running like myself again. I know. I remember last year, 2016, going into the trials and just I needed two three more months of training to be close and just thinking how much i would trade how much i would you know i would want to be in that 2012 position again just be in that kind of shape and how in 2012 i didn't i didn't appreciate it at all in 2012 i was like oh, i just need to get through this race and not embarrass myself youth is wasted on the young. yeah no it was and i <laughs> i didn't i don't know i and that was one of the things that really that was one of the things that kind of drew me to Jerry's group or just, I can't remember if it was before they joined the group or after, but he just, we're talking about the race or something. And I still had in my mind that I'd done okay. And he was like, you really screwed up. And I was like, what do you, yeah, I guess a little bit. He's like, no, 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 you, you really, like you blew it. Like you don't get that many chances. You close on, you closed way too hard. Like you just need to go with the move. And I was like, but I was, tired (laughs) and he's like and that was kind of I you know that was kind of my first that was like a wake-up call being in the group about you know Jerry and I've had a lot of conversations I remember having a specific conversation with him about how you you only get so many chances when you're really fit and you're in the right race and he we were talking about the world stage at that point and he was like look I mean there's some there's a few guys in the world who can know they're going to be there every year but for everybody else, you get one, you, know, you probably get zero, but maybe if you're good enough, you get one, maybe two shots when you're really fit to go do something special. You know, that definitely applied in that situation. That's something I didn't appreciate when I was 21. And there's a lot of things I'd go back and do differently, but you can't. So here we are. I mean, the same thing applies to every point in your career, though. So, I mean, you, you say that. You never lost one opportunity. I know you think you did, right? You didn't make a move to win a national title. You were most people would be happy to get one All-American in their career. You were 14-time All-American. I was happy to get technically two, but really only once. Yeah, we're so, not counting second team. No. <laughs> no. Ninth if, you, if you don't score, it doesn't count. No, it, it really doesn't. I guess it's interesting to hear from you, who's someone who I think doesn't waste many opportunities. 
it, you, you're so haunted by all these times where you think you. It's nice that your your failure is not making the Olympic team. <laughs> you well, know? you know, as Bruce Springsteen said, "Poor men want to be rich, rich men want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything." You know, Dude, you always like want it. you always want a little more. But also, you know, like the people I compare myself to, like my cohort, is Hassan and you know Paul Chalimo, who I used to beat in college, and Mo Ahmed, you know, people like that who like I raced against have beaten on sometimes many occasions, you know, and who have all done things superior to what I've done in, in certain respects. And so that's, I mean, that's just kind of the natural way of things, like being competitive, the closer you get, you know, when I started running, I thought I just wanted to get a varsity letter. And then I wanted to be all state and then I wanted to win state and yada, yada, yada. And then I wanted to win nationals. And like, that's just kind of how this goes on. You know, and I, I, don't, I have no illusions about the fact that I have been very, very fortunate to, have the career I've had even up to this point or just this the opportunity to run professionally to try to make teams to be on a team or two but yeah you I mean there's a certain element of in athletics of never quite being satisfied and that's it's not necessarily healthy but it is helpful Mm -hmm. yeah I know I've experienced too it too to probably to the to the nth degree you know, well, little... you don't just be like, I'm going to be an Olympian. It's like you have to be unsatisfied with your position now. And then you're unsatisfied with that. And then you're unsatisfied with that. And now, like, I want to just be, I'm professional and I want to go to the Olympic team as well. Like, it's, it happens quicker than you think. Being satisfied and happy with what you have is like, I'm not a Buddhist. It's good for, yeah, it's good. It's good for your mental health. But at the same time, it's not the proper, like, there's a certain amount of unhealthiness to the mentality of trying to be your best at something. You know, one thing that I know is, like my dad would always say when I go to races, like, oh, I'd love you if you were slow. Or he'd, or, when I would go to race, he'd say, run fast. And then mm-hmm. I'd finish and he'd be like, great job, but I'd love you if you were slow. And like, I know my parents would care about me if I, and like my friends would still be my friends if I was bad at running. But it helps me to, to push harder if I think that they wouldn't, you know? Or to think that it really does matter so much, you know, that you get that you know that nervous feeling that like it's going to be the end of the world if i don't run you know if this race is 10 seconds slower than i want it to be and obviously that's not rational or realistic way to examine the world it does help you do better at least it helps me some people that pressure is too much and they just need to focus on having fun or whatever Mm -hmm. you know i had teammates like that who when they gave themselves that pressure they you know it was detrimental and they just needed to they needed to be happy and enjoy what they were doing fully in order to run their best. For me, you know, I think being the best athlete you can means sometimes means feeling like the world won't be right unless you do this thing and being the best person you can be or the happiest person you can be probably means knowing that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. I have an innate thing that you're describing where like when I get into a race, it is the most important thing to me or right before a race. But I used to have like a switch where I could just like have fun and just enjoy my life, <laughs> you know, and go about my day and not think about running and then get in the race and be like, this is the only thing that matters. But the second I became, the, I can honestly tell you the difference between me being a good runner and becoming focused on being a pro is when that switch was like never turned off. <laughs> it, <laughs> suddenly, I only wanted to like, be good at running 
and honestly, it's still on. It still hasn't like taken. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I'm not able to turn it off yet. I wish I knew. I wish I knew how. Well, I think everyone. I've noticed that more and more, and I think. Uh, I mean, everyone. I don't even know if it's bad. Every, well, yeah, everyone has a different balance. There are some guys on our team, even who, like I would say, Dan is maybe someone who, if he's thinking about running all the time, it's bad for his running. But I would say Evan is someone who I mean, maybe one of the things that helps him be great is that he can really just lock in to where running is the only thing. I mean, not the only thing. He loves his family and his wife. He loves his wife very much. Yes, no, they, he does. They have, they have a great relationship. <laughs> no, they really do. I'm like, not joking. It's not the only thing that he cares okay. about, but it, 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 he can fixate on that for months and not let that pressure build up too much, to, like most of the time. And that's, I mean, everyone personally has to find their own sweet spot about how much they need to focus on something. But it is probably better, you know, if you were choosing between, if you had to pick one of those personalities from the shelf to put on your ideal athlete, it is probably better to be psychotically obsessed <laughs> and, and to be able to handle to be, to be able to handle that. I think I think he liked that. I was a psychotic. Yeah, no, Jerry did like that about you. He said he didn't say you're psychotic, but he said I think he's I think he's all in. I think he's ready to go all in. Yeah, and which is Jerry. Jerry loves that. Yeah, I mean you need to be. I bet you. I think I got the impression that Josh is like that too. Yeah. I don't know. I know. I don't know nothing. I know nothing about <laughs> Josh. Well, Jerry. Jerry once he once gave me this spiel. We were talking on, and this he was like, yeah, p- people they they say like. If you're happy, you'll run well. And I think that's backwards, all right? If you run well, you'll be happy. I would live in the sewer if I could <laughs> run well. And I was like, oh, man, Jerry, you're insane. Yeah. This was like my second month in the group, and I was like, what kind of madman have I interested myself to? Yeah, he's insane. No, he cares very, very... He's, uh, he's a very stubborn and driven person. Yeah. But he's fortunately driven towards, I think, the right things. He yeah, really, he gets it. He really wants his athletes to be successful, and he has high integrity, and he he will not budge from those from those goals, even if it makes even if it sometimes makes his athletes insane. I mean, it makes us good. It does. It makes. I mean, sometimes where he's just like, "No, we need to go to altitude now." It's like, "No, but it, we don't have to." Please, no. <laughs> that's Jerry. That's the that's the Jerry caricature, by the way. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he. I I don't do it nearly as well as Ryan Hill. Ryan's good at impressions in general. Yeah, you should just do like an hour of impressions with Ryan. One thing that I did not do right by with CD is talk about how he won U.S. Cross three times. So we'll have to have him back on here uh, to talk about that. But for the last question on this show, I asked him what his marathon plans were for the fall. Uh, So I'm running one this fall. Um, I have decided on which one, but it has not been officially announced. So unfortunately, I cannot on the Woody Leaks podcast break the break the news. But um, yeah, I'm around this one this fall. He posted on social media three days later after this interview that he's running the Chicago Marathon on October eighth, two thousand seventeen. My main goal is to not to not have a disastrous last last ten K. Um, hopefully hold it together and feel like I can race the next one. You know I wanna I know the marathon's a whole different animal. I wanna respect it and Try to learn what that what that last that last six miles is all about. Okay, that concludes the show. Let's talk about fantasy football. But you do still <coughs> run the fantasy football league for Stanford cross country. I do. Yes. Who's the pick this year? Who's your number one? 
I haven't thought about it. I don't know. I don't want to embarrass myself right now. No, you should probably throw one out there. No, I, I really haven't considered it. You can't. You can't just to think of one off the top of your head. No, I'm not going to. You refuse. I'd rather. It's better to to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Oh wait, I know who said that. Uh, Mark Twain. I'm close. Uh, who is it? not Mark Twain? No. Who is it? Abraham Lincoln. No, I think it's Mark Twain. No, let's see. Look at that. Burrito. All right. Okay, so me and CD just made a bet on who said that line, and CD's looking up at this very moment. So we're going to pause. Every time I make a bet, I, I get a little bit of doubt in my head, but I'm pretty sure I know this one. Twain, dude. Let's see. Quote investigator. The first, it says Abraham Lincoln, question mark. Mark Twain, question mark. Mark said it could be both. Biblical proverb. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, okay, so there, so so it turns out there is a Bible verse in the Proverbs that sounds close. It is even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. But the wonderful Yale Book of Quotations investigated the saying and presented the earliest known attribution to Lincoln in the Golden Book magazine in November 1931. When it's better, say it. better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. After Abraham Lincoln. I, I don't know. It's dang. Are you, are you going to doubt the wonderful Yale book of quotations? I, you know what? The fact that there are two families, two schools of thought that maybe Mark Twain said it, said it and maybe Abraham Lincoln, I feel better about giving this burrito. It wasn't just out of nowhere. Someone definitely said Mark mm. Twain said that. So I will say you did win it, but there are numerous people out there who are just as wrong as me. That's true. Uh, it does. It does say. It does say that there's some. There's some disagreements here. The quote is listed in, uh, in a documentary on Mark Twain under the heading "Things Mark Twain Didn't Say." So it certainly wasn't Mark Twain. Oh, he did. Oh, that's bad. <clears throat> yeah. So but I just it, got it, the... it, it. might not have also been Abraham. It might also not have been Abraham Lincoln, but no one knows. But we know it was in the Bible, or at least the gist of it was. Yeah. I'll get you. I'll get you chips and salsa for that. Okay, I'll take it. God knows how this turned out. It's been I great, think, Woody. It's yeah, been, it's been a wonderful time. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, at least we've had fun. No, it, maybe no one else did, but we had a great time. One day you'll see this quote on Wikipedia, and you'll know where it came from. Wh- which quote? Probably the one about Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be me quoting Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Okay, that's good, man. That's good. I think that's all I need. Um, Unless there's anything you want to bring up. Unless there's anything in your autobiography that you've been meaning to get off your chest. Uh, Any deep, dark secrets? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay, that will be our show for July. Thanks again to Sidious, as usual, for putting the podcast on your website. Make sure you follow CD on his journey to the marathon on October 8th. 2017 and you can follow us at poam podcast on twitter or just price of a mile on instagram thanks for listening and we'll have our next show in august